will go after it to discover it and find it and have it. If you'll keep asking, if you'll keep seeking, if you'll keep knocking, and you'll be diligent in your search for it, God will reward you with it. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 and 8 says that if you sow into the flesh, you will reap death and corruption. But if you sow into the Spirit, you will reap life everlasting. Why? Because God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. So if you're just sowing to please yourself, you're just going to reap death and corruption. But if you're sowing to please God, you're sowing into the things of Spirit, you're giving of your life into the things that God asks you to do, from that sowing you will reap a reward. These are some of the areas that you sow. You sow with your time. Look at the person next to you, tell them you sow your time reading the Word of God. You sow your time hanging out with other believers. You sow your time listening to teaching. You sow your time worshiping. You sow your time praying. Are you with me? You sow your time coming to church on a Sunday morning. You could be on the beach today. I think the weather's fine. It was a beautiful day yesterday. Fort Pierce, 89 degrees, partly cloudy right now. It would have been a great morning at the beach for you to catch some rays. Right? You could have been on a boat today or a jet ski. You could have been on a Florida golf course. You could have been with your family anywhere you were. You could have gone for breakfast somewhere this morning. But instead, you chose to come to the house of God and honor God and sow your time and sow your thanksgiving and honor God and saying thank you to God for all that He has blessed you with. Giving of your resources, giving your money to God, to this apparently high priest guy. Apparently there's this high priest guy that these people, they do this thing and this thing happens with a, and a, I don't understand it. These people are crazy. It's real. It's so real. Amen. And so you're sowing your time into the things of God and you're going to reap life. You're going to reap the blessing of the Lord. Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Say, wisdom is the principal thing. Get it. Points your finger at someone. Tell them, you got to get it. It's your responsibility. It's not my responsibility. It's your responsibility to get wisdom. You say, well, how do I get it? You ask God for it. You read your Bible. You search for it. Get wisdom. And with all the wisdom you get, get understanding. Understand how to take God's wisdom and apply it to your life to reap results. Look at somebody and tell them there's no point getting wisdom and not applying it. What good is it to know what to do but never do it? It's like the gym. I know I'm supposed to go, but I don't. We need to do it. See, we know we need to do it. I know I'm supposed to eat right. I know Eating at 11 p.m., that stuff, I should not be, I know, but I don't do what I know to do. And then you suffer. There's the suffering that, that follows the disobedience. Knowing, breaking, breaking things that you know to do, it causes problems in your life. Because we're not disciplined. Amen. So I'm talking to myself now. I have areas of improvement that I need to work on. But you need to seek God's wisdom and you need to apply it to your life so you can get the benefit of it. If you get the wisdom and you apply it, it'll produce results. And so 
when we're seeking, what are we seeking? We're seeking the kingdom of God. Is that what it says in Matthew 6, 33? Seek first the what? The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of heaven is a place. Everybody say that's God's home country. The kingdom of God is God's rule, which extends to other territories. God expands His rulership through His ambassadors in the earth. It is God's government structure, His laws, His commands, His statutes, His decrees that we learn, that we live by, and that we teach to others. So when we're going to live in the kingdom of God, we've got to know God's laws. We've got to obey the laws of God, and we've got to teach the laws of God. Look at somebody and tell them, if you don't obey the laws, you'll never teach the laws. And if you teach the laws that you do not obey, you're a hypocrite. That sounds like a bad word, but in the olden days, a hypocrite was a side street performer. You're just a professional actor. And so we don't want to be actors. We want to be living the word and teaching what we live. So if we're seeking first the kingdom of God, it means we're making it our priority ahead of anything else in time, in order, and of importance. With a desire to obtain God's knowledge, God's way of doing things, we're seeking out God's mind concerning something. Say that I'm seeking out God's thoughts, God's mind concerning something. When you seek first the kingdom of God, you will look eagerly to discover. You'll go on a hunt. You will pursue it. You will track it down. And when you discover it, you will apply it to your life. And then you'll see the results of it. So we're seeking first the kingdom of God. So a couple of weeks ago, I, I had a vision during my prayer time with the Lord. And the Lord showed me from heaven... Like these javelins. I don't know how to describe it. They're just these pillars that were hurled out of heaven into the earth. And they formed this line that went on as far as the eye could see. And then I saw along this, these pillars that this light fence got activated. Like an electrical fence. And on the inside of the fence, on the inside of these boundaries, I saw life spring up. Everything was flourishing. Everything was blessed. It was just a, a beautiful, it was a wasteland, but it just grew into a blessed place with fruits and, and just the blessing, peace, tranquility. It was a beautiful paradise. And on the outside of this fence was just wilderness. And there were these, it looked like just some wild beast, like a cross between a buffalo and a lion or something trying to break through the fence line. And whenever the enemy tried to jump over this fence line to come and destroy the territory, this fence would keep things back and keep things out. And so when I started talking about Deuteronomy chapter 6, that we need to establish solid foundations, the Lord confirmed the message I was preaching, and He showed me that if we will set these boundaries up, the glory of God will protect us from the destruction the enemy wants to bring to our lives. And we will flourish. Can I get an amen? And what I saw flourishing, it was a never-ending flourishing that would hit us. And so we are laying these foundations to make sure that we stay strong and that we only experience the blessing of God. We do not want the enemy coming in to steal, kill, and destroy. Can I get an amen? That's what we're building in this season. This is what we're focusing on in this season. And so 
Today, in closing, because I'm almost done here, I want to share a couple more thoughts. Number one, when a manufacturer makes a product, he always puts a manual with it. Anybody bought a car lately? In the glove compartment is what? A manual. Anybody bought an appliance? You open that box right on the top, what do you find? A manual. That manual is how the product, it tells you how the product was made to operate. That manual gives you the safety precautions of how to handle that product. That manual tells you about replacement parts. It tells you what not to do, how to program it. That manual tells you where to take it if it's broken and how to get it fixed. That manual explains to you the product and what it was designed for. And things you should not do with that product. Do not put this product underwater. Do not operate this product near water. Warnings. Why? Because the, the manufacturer wants you to get the benefit from that product. So a manual is the mind of the creator in print. And he writes in there his original thoughts about his product. And if you want to get the best out of that product, this is how you need to use it. Can I get an amen? Everybody knows where I'm going. What I'm holding in my hand is the mind of God in print. It is the manual for your life. And if you will make the decision to live by the truth in this manual, you will get the most amazing results from the product, your life. Can I get an amen? amen. If you are not going to live by this manual, I don't care how many times you come to church, how many messages you hear preached, if you do not take what is written in here and live according to what is written, it will not produce results for you. And you cannot be upset with somebody sitting next to you that's blessed because they made the decision to apply the Word of God. You lazy thing. And so, I'm not a Hebrew guy. I don't speak Hebrew. But I, I was looking up some Hebrew stuff. And that's always exciting because I always get the words wrong. <clears throat> And this is what I discovered just recently. The word truth, everybody say truth. The word truth, when you look at it in the Hebrew, and if we've got Hebrew scholars, you're free to correct me publicly. I don't care. I just want to get it right. Okay. The word truth has got three letters, Hebrew letters in it. And in the Hebrew language... Every letter corresponds to a number. For instance, A would be the number one. B would be the number two. C would be the number three, right? So in the Hebrew, the word truth has three letters. In the Hebrew alphabet, there are 28 letters in the alphabet. And when you look at those three symbols or three letters that make up the word truth, it is the first letter, it is the 14th letter, and it is the 28th letter. That means if you're going to have the truth, it needs to be in the beginning, in the middle, and the end. It is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So even in the corresponding of the Hebrew letters, it corresponds to the numbers. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Are you with me? It gets better. 
The word truth is the word emet. And I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it's E-M-E-T. And if you remove number one, the first letter, which is oneness with God and the glory of God, from truth, you're left with met, which means death. That means that if you take God out of anything, you no longer have truth. You have partial truth and all you will reap is death. And it goes even further. Truth is not a subject that you study. Truth is a person. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. So if you don't know Jesus, you don't have truth. And all you have is death. Woo! And if we're going to build our life on the truth, then we're going to build our life on what Jesus says. Mm, that's that Hebrew stuff. Shaka Zulu. If you take out the beginning, you're left with a partial truth. You take out the end, you're left with partial truth. And we need the whole truth. You can't take God out of anything because He's the creator of everything. The minute you take God out of anything, you can never find truth because He is truth. Amen? And so... We want to look at the truth about what God says about you. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. I want to know the thoughts of my maker concerning me. I want to tell you what God thinks about you. And he says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Go to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. When you read the book of Genesis, you read about creation. You read in the beginning, God created everything. That means He's the source of everything. He created all things, the heavens and the earth. But then you start reading the days of creation, and you start reading how God created stuff. Whenever God wanted to create something, He would use materials to make the thing He was creating. So when you read about God creating the plants... And the trees, he took dirt, and from the dirt, he created plants and trees. That's what he used. Can I get an amen? What's really cool is you're going to discover when God talks about seed-bearing fruit, he puts in the laws of reproduction. And God said, the things that I create will create after their kind. Look at the person next to you and say, the law of reproduction says everything will reproduce after its kind. Then you read about God. He created the animals. He created fish in the sea, birds in the sky. He created animals that scurry along the ground. He created all living things. When God wanted to make fish, He took fish and water and designed them so that they could live in water. When He made birds, He took earth and air and gas and made them to fly in the sky. When God made animals, you know, He used dirt and He put them on the land. He created each after its kind. And they would reproduce after their kind. Do you know that there are God put in place laws that would stop His creation from drifting and morphing into things He did not create? For example, a mule. Look at the person next. You say a mule is not God's creation; it's man's creation. Man took a horse and a donkey and created a mule. Do you know that a mule? Cannot reproduce. 
It is barren. You can't put two mules together to make another mule. Why? Because God set things in order that man couldn't mess up his creation. Do you know what a liger is? It is a cross between a lion and a tiger. Man-made. Do you know that ligers cannot reproduce after their kind? Why? Because man was messing with genetics and God made sure that creation wouldn't drift and morph into something he did not create. That means evolution. Because you can't go from a monkey to a man because God caused things to reproduce after their kind according to the laws of creation. He settled it in Genesis. He just settled it. Things only reproduce after their kind. Now this is where it gets really good. When God decided to make mankind, God went to himself. He said, let us, Elohim, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, let us make man in our image. Because every species reproduces after its kind. That means you are not in the animal class. You are in the God class as children of the Most High God. You are king's kids and you are royalty. You are the prince and princesses of the kingdom. And you are among the firstborn of the dead to enjoy the inheritances of the kingdom. Do you know who you are? God is spirit. That means you are spirit. Look at the person next to you and tell him, you are made in the image and likeness of God. God is a spirit being. And the Bible says in the book of Genesis, when God formed man out of the dust of the ground, you have two parts to you. You have an earth suit that gives you access to the earth realm. But then God breathed spirit himself into you. So that you have access to the kingdom of God and into heavenly places. You are a spirit being that has access to two realms. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. And God put you in the garden of Eden in his presence. You could have relationship with God and know him as your father. And he would teach you who you are. And the reason he created you so that you could expand his kingdom. Bring his image and glory into the earth. And you're one of a kind. There's nobody like you. God has an assignment for you. Something for you to do. That's why we should never judge one another. Because we're just judging God's kids. And he doesn't like it when brothers and sisters fight. Can I get an amen? And so what you need to understand is one second after you breathe out your last breath and your spirit leaves this body, you will stand before God. It is appointed for every man to die and then judgment. You came from God and you will return to God. Your body came from the earth, it will return to the earth. But your spirit will live forever. That's why you need to understand that without Jesus, you don't make heaven. 
Without building your life on the truth, you'll never experience the abundant life that God has for you. Can I get an amen? And so Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, very famous passage of Scripture, says this, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. The King James says, for I know the thoughts that I think about you, says the Lord. They are thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. So God thinks about you. Look at the person next to you say, God thinks about you. Psalm 139. Let's go there. Psalm 139. People say, well, God doesn't care about me. God doesn't know me. If he did, then why am I going through my struggles? I want you to know today that God knows you. I'm, doing, I'm studying right now on the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Do you know that in the book of Revelation, when Jesus speaks to John about the seven churches in that time, that, God knew, that Jesus knew the pastors of each of those churches, and he even knew congregation members in those churches. And Jesus had different thoughts about the ministers leading and the people in those congregations. Jesus himself knows about us. He knows who I am. He knows who you are. He knows every detail about the church because it's his property. I'm a little scared, but anyway. Psalm 139. I'll read that. Lord, help me become all that you call me to be. Psalm 139, verse 1 says, O Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. Look at the person next to you say, God knows every single thing about you. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say Imagine that. You know what I'm going to say before I even say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. This goes beyond your understanding. Verse 7, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. You're like, I don't feel God. It's because your mind isn't on God. He says He's right there with you. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning. Lord, I want to ride the wings of the morning. I want to try that. He rode the wings of the morning. That sounds like fun. That means I've got to get up early. I'm not sure if I want to ride the wings of the morning. If I dwell by the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day and darkness as light and light are the same. Verse 13, it gets really good. It says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body. And you knit me together in my mother's womb. 
Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, and oh, how well I know it. 15, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. So God knows what's going on in your womb. He watches every baby being formed in the womb. He says, and I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Verse 16, you saw me before I was born. Hold up, wait a minute. You saw me before I was born? And every day of my life was recorded in your book. Does that mean God has a book written in heaven about my life before I was even born? God had some thoughts about who he created me to be. Every moment was laid out before a single day passed. 17, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you're with me. The word precious means thoughts of great value, thoughts that are rare, thoughts that are important. It means that God's thoughts about you, He cherishes them, and they're close to His heart. Family, I want you to know that God loves you, that you're not an accident, you're not a mistake. The fact that you're alive on this planet means God has purpose for you and God has thoughts about you that are more than you could ever imagine. And God's thoughts towards you are good thoughts to give you peace and to give you a future. Family, I want you to know God has not forgotten you. God has not left you. But it's time for us to reconnect our hearts back to God. Can I get an amen? You opened up my eyes to so much more. I saw the ceiling shatter. The moment you came down and hit the floor.